Guardian Unlimited. Questions to the Prime Minister. Robert Neil. Number one, sir. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating the Conservative-controlled London Borough of Bromley yeah. on its achievement in becoming the highest rate of dry recycler in London and being recognised as an exemplary authority for garden and home recycling? Would he like to come and see the work that we are doing in Bromley? I could take him and show him one of our bottle banks. Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, he will therefore, he will therefore be very Prime Minister. He will therefore be very pleased with the public expenditure settlement yesterday, which gave huge amounts of money to the environment. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Could I ask my right honourable friend if he will take a personal interest in helping to resolve the industrial disputes at Royal Mail at the present time? I'm sure, as the owner of the business, the government shares everybody's concern about the interruption in the cash flow of small businesses, in contacts between constituents and their MPs, and in the daily lives of all residents, including those in rural communities. Given that both sides of the dispute say, say that they share the same... They share the same interest. Order, share... order. Uh, the Honourable Gentleman has made his point. <laughs> Speaker, uh, this has got to be settled by negotiations between the post office and the workforce, but there is no justification for the continuation of this dispute. It should be brought to an end on the terms that have been offered as soon as possible, and I urge the workforce to go back to work. Chairman. Mr Speaker, the big question this week is can we believe what the Prime Minister says? So, so let us start with his credibility gulf over the election. The Prime Minister was asked this, hand on heart, if the polls showed a hundred seat majority, would you still have called off the election? And he said yes. Does he, ex does he expect anyone to believe that? And Mr Speaker, I will take no lectures from the Leader of with this summer, I will take no lectures from the Leader of Opposition, who this summer was for grammar schools, against them, and then for them again. Who was for VAT on airfares, and then against it. Who was for parking charges, and then against it. Who was for museum charges, against it. I will take no lectures from the Leader of the Opposition about the He's the first Prime Minister in history to flunk an election because he thought he was going to win it. <laughs> Does he, does, he remember, does he remember writing this? It's in his best-selling book about courage. As far back as I can remember, I've been fascinated by men and women of courage, stories of people who took brave decisions in the service of great causes, especially when more comfortable and far less dangerous alternatives were open to them. Does he realise what a phony he now looks? Has he found a single person who believes his excuses for cancelling the election? Mr Speaker, 
He talks about a clamour for election. I looked at the Downing Street website this morning. Certainly there is a petition, there is a petition on the Downing Street website. Order, order. Allow the Prime Minister to answer. <laughs> Prime Minister. Certainly there is a petition on the Downing Street website calling for an election. It is signed by 26 people. And not one of them are the Conservative front bench. And Mr. And Mr. Speaker, we will govern. We will govern in the interests of the people. And what matters to the people is the health service, education, housing. And we will govern to make housing, health, and education better in this country. He's going to have to do better than that. Let's, let's try another claim. Let's try another claim. Did the draft of the pre-budget report, written before the Conservative Party conference, include plans for the taxation of non-DOMs and the raising of inheritance tax? A simple question, yes or no? I, I, think, I think if he looks back to the summer and interviews, <laughs> and, and interviews given by the Chancellor, he talked about these very issues. And I may say... We have raised the exemption on inheritance tax on ten occasions since 1997. We have dealt with tax avoidance in relation to non-domicile and non-resident on many occasions since 1997. And we are going to continue to take the right decisions for the country. Now, it's very interesting he's raised inheritance tax and non-domiciles. And I think we can have a detailed discussion of this over the next few weeks. And I think he will have to explain to the House, as we will explain to the House, that on non-domiciles, there are not 150,000 non-domiciles. There are not even 115,000 who could pay this tax. There are only 15,000. And when, and when the Conservatives start to look, when the Conservatives start to look at the official figures, they will find they can only raise 650 million pounds not £3.5 billion pounds as they claim. And as for inheritance tax, and again, I welcome the debate we're going to have in the country on this. I welcome the debate. As for inheritance tax, we, we can exempt estates below £700,000 by 2010 and put money into health and education. The Conservative Party are going to put £2 billion into giving money to those with estates above 950,000, a billion pounds to those already rich. Now, when the debate is held in the country, people will choose our policies and reject theirs. I tell you what, if you've got some questions about our policy, find a bit of courage, discover a bit of bottle, get in your car, go down to Buckingham Palace and call that election. The Prime Minister now tells us he was planning to change the rules on inheritance tax and non-DOMs all along. He is treating the British people like fools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ne next he'll be telling us how much he admires Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> now let's try another example of straight talking from the Prime Minister. Your manifesto said that the, it was, he, he, the Prime Minister said that the Labour manifesto was an issue of trust. That manifesto promised a referendum on the European Constitution. Do you understand how it damages your credibility by not holding that election referendum? Mr Speaker, if we, were having a ref if we were having a debate on the Euro, we would have a referendum. If it was the old treaty, we would have a referendum. But because we have won in negotiation by standing up for British interests, then all the red lines, Mr, Mr Speaker, all the red lines that we asked for have been achieved. And when the inter-governmental inter conference reports, he will see very clearly 
that these red lines have been achieved. And I just, I just ask him to look on this issue of the referendum. Every single Shadow Cabinet member that was in this Parliament in 1992 voted against a referendum on the Maastricht Treaty. Every country apart from Ireland that wanted a referendum a few months ago no longer wants a referendum. We stand up for the British national interest. We will continue to do so. Mr Speaker, nobody believes him. The Labour-dominated European Scrutiny Committee says the EU treaty is substantially equivalent to the Constitution. They say that pretending otherwise is misleading. When Labour MPs say this, why should anyone believe him? Because, because I have the report here and it makes, a, it makes a distinction between the treaty... Oh, yes. Well, if they, if they want a debate about the future, they should read the full report. And it makes a distinction between the treaty itself and its effect on Britain with the protocols, the opt-ins, the exemptions, the emergency break and the veto. What he forgets is we went to Brussels and negotiated for Britain the opt-out, the protocol, the opt-in, the emergency break. We have stood up for the British national interest. It's more than the Conservative Party ever did over Maastricht. What we won't forget and what the British people won't forget is that he made a promise and he's broken that promise. Prime Minister who won't talk straight about the election, who won't own up on inheritance tax and won't keep his promises on an EU referendum. Never have the British people been treated with such cynicism. Yeah. Mr Speaker, for ten years he has plotted and schemed to have this job and for what? No conviction, just calculation. No vision, just a vacuum. Last week he lost his political authority, this week he's losing his moral authority. How long are we going to have to wait before the past makes way for the future? This is, this is, the, man, this is, the, man wanted, this is the man who wanted the end to the Punch and Judy show. This is the man who wanted an end to name-calling. Mr Speaker, we, we are the government that has created 10 years of economic stability in this country. We are the government that adopted a minimum wage against the Conservative advice. We are the government that made the Bank of England independent against Conservative advice. We are the government that has delivered record rises in health expenditure against Conservative advice. We are the government that is improving our education system against Conservative advice. And we will continue to govern in the interests of the whole country. Martin Salter. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yesterday, the yesterday, Mr. Speaker, the Chancellor revealed that an increase in the inheritance tax threshold to one million would hand an eye-watering windfall of one billion pounds to just one percent of the richest estates in this country. Has the Prime Minister had an opportunity to cross-reference these figures with the Register of Members' Interests to find out how many would benefit on the Conservative? Mr. Speaker, let, let us have this debate about the future of inheritance tax. I welcome the debate we're about to have on the future of inheritance tax because there is a choice to be made between those people who favour raising the threshold to 700,000 but using the extra money to spend on health and education and those people who want to have a million pound threshold which would mean a billion pounds is given to the top 1.5% in this country. And I know how the British people will feel about this issue. They will want investment in health and education as well as the improvements in inheritance tax. 
And once the Conservative Party settled down, they will realise that, that, they, they will realise that by publishing their election manifesto early, it will be dissected week by week in this House of Commons. The Prime Minister has stolen Liberal Democrat policies in order to help the better off. Will he steal Liberal Democrat policies in order to assist lower and middle income families? And will he cut the basic rate of income tax to 16 pence in the pound? Mr Speaker, we are cutting the basic rate of income tax from 22 pence to 20 pence in the pound. But what we will not do is follow a Liberal Party policy where they would cut the basic rate by another four pence, costing £12 billion, putting the public finances at risk, and exactly in the same way as the Conservative Party, they would put the economic management of the economy at risk. We will not follow that policy. Just remember that his cut in the basic rate is at the expense of some of the poorest people in the country. But wasn't the most glaring omission in yesterday's statement the absence of any proposals for reform of the unfair council tax? Council tax is set to rise by twice the rate of inflation. How fair is that for low and middle income families? I've got to say, you should look at his own proposals. First of all, he's got an 18 billion black hole in his proposal. Secondly, secondly, it is not a free gift that he's offering people on the council tax. He wants to replace it by local income tax, and that would be three pence in the pound more for people. And thirdly, at every point that I've costed the Liberal Party, proposals, nothing adds up. They'd be better going back to the drawing board. Bob Waring. Mr Speaker, the government is giving considerable assistance to London in preparation for the 2012 Olympic Games. I wonder whether the Prime Minister has considered any increase in the assistance which will go to Liverpool, which next year celebrates its uh, year as the European city of culture. I'm thinking in particular increases in amounts going to the Merseyside Police and to the local authorities. Well, I, I, I want to congratulate Liverpool on becoming the city of culture and having visited the city and seen what is being done to prepare for the city of culture, there is more urban regeneration taking place in Liverpool than at any time in the last uh, 20, 25 years. And I also uh, want to say to him that the local government settlement and the public expenditure plans announced yesterday will help Liverpool and the North West and ensure that jobs can be created in the area, but also ensure that the urban regeneration continues. We will keep our promises to the people of Liverpool. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister may be aware uh, that in West Sussex there are proposals to downgrade the accident and emergency units, either at St Richard's Hospital in Chichester or at Worthing Hospital. Would the Prime Minister clarify the comments, therefore, by Lord Darcy when he said on the Today programme last week that his statements that the days of the, of the, the, days of the District General Hospital are gone uh, applies only, and I quote, to big metropolitan capital cities like London. Well, given that neither Chichester nor Worthing are big metropolitan, district, uh, are big metropolitan capital cities, uh, can he assure my constituents that both these excellent hospitals are now safe? Well, 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 obviously I'm happy to talk to the honourable gentleman about what's happening in his own area, in his own constituency, but I have to say that he should be uh, applauding yesterday's announcement that health service expenditure will go up from £90 billion to £110 billion. And perhaps in the interests of accuracy, given that Conservative members mentioned this all over the summer, when they listed 29 hospitals that they said were at risk or subject to reconfiguration, 
it was immediately pointed out that 10 of these hospitals had had no such plans. And as far as the Leader of the Opposition is concerned, the Horton Hospital in Banbury, the Shadow Health Secretary said we wouldn't get that wrong. And then the Chairman of the Local Health Trust said, as far as the A&E is concerned, there is no threat. Indeed, it's rather the opposite. The Board has agreed to invest additional funds. Once again, the Conservatives cannot be trusted with the National Health Service. In the last two weeks, we have heard alternative approaches to the taxation of foreign non-domiciles. Will the Prime Minister confirm that he is confident that the government's approach will target people who can realistically be expected to be able to pay the tax? It is, it is right that uh, people pay the fair share, and we have taken action against avoidance uh, every year for the last uh, ten years. But I have to point out to the House, and this is going to be a debate that is going to be held over the next period of time, that the proposal that you can find 150,000 non-domiciles to tax is completely wrong. There are only 115,000 registered in this country, but only 15,000 of these non-domiciles have the earnings and income that would allow them to consider that paying £25,000 in taxation was in their interest. Others are nurses who earn little more than £25,000, teachers who earn little more than £25,000. And when we asked where these calculations came, they came from accountancy age, then referred back to the Observer newspaper, then referred back to what was a so-called tax expert who was unnamed. And I think those people who put forward proposals to tax non-domicile and say they can raise three and a half billion will have to do better in the future. Sir Patrick Cornmike, could the Prime Minister give us a cheerful answer and tell me whether he believes that imitation is the surest way to salvation or merely the sincerest form of flattery? When we made the Bank of England independent, they opposed it and now support it. When we created a minimum wage, they opposed it and now support it. When we invested in the health service, they opposed it and now support it. I know who's been leading the argument in this country. It's the Labour Party. Does the Prime Minister think that people who want to return to work but have become trapped in the incapacity benefit system should be supported and encouraged to seek and obtain work or should be forced to do so by removing their benefit? Yeah, Mr Speaker, it, it, there is a very interesting debate also to be had on the future of incapacity benefit in this country. And my honourable friend is absolutely right. Under our proposals, a million people, a million people will come off incapacity benefit uh, by 2015. There is an alternative proposal that says that figure could be 1.6 million. In other words, two-thirds of people on incapacity benefit at the moment would come off incapacity benefit. Each would lose £5,000 per person, and that would raise, for a particular proposal put forward on the other side, £3 billion. Now, I ask the House, given the constituents that we know who are disabled in wheelchairs, many who are mentally as well as physically handicapped, the idea that 1.6 million of 2.7 million people could come off incapacity benefit by the beginning of the next Parliament is faintly ridiculous. And those people who say they can raise £3 billion from that particular proposal, given that we're already expecting a million to come off incapacity benefit, are again completely wrong. Prime Minister, that on an occasion 
some time ago there was an announcement made about Northern Ireland losing many of its army installations. And a promise was made in a joint statement uh, that the people of Northern Ireland would benefit uh, from what was done with these particular uh, government, uh, government uh, ownership. Uh, could the Prime Minister give me assurance today that that will be done and could he announce the time when it will be done? Well, I hope, I hope that the Right Honourable uh, uh, Member, uh, who, who is the First Minister in Northern Ireland, will accept that the public expenditure settlement uh, that was uh, reached uh, yesterday was very much in line with uh, what we had talked about previously, indeed was higher than the figures I'd given him before. And I will certainly look at what he says about uh, land in, in Northern Ireland, just as I'm looking, as I promised to do, at the corporate tax regime in Northern Ireland, and perhaps we can talk about these, these issues at a later date. Gilroy. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, can I welcome the recent uplift in the minimum wage, which is helping 90,000 people in the southwest? And can I ask the Prime Minister to guarantee that the future of the minimum wage will be assured as long as he is Prime Minister? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the rise in the minimum wage, which came in October the 1st, is, is, one of the, uh, is a rise in the minimum wage from its initial £3.60, and it is now at £5.35. It will continue to rise, obviously subject to economic conditions. But what, in addition to that, we've achieved in the last few years is a minimum wage for teenagers, and we also, on October the 1st, were able to introduce the first, the first number of days of paid holiday entitlement for workers in this country. Again, a sign that if we can keep the economy moving forward, have stable economic growth, then the rewards will flow to the whole of the population and not just some of the population. Damien yeah. Green. The Prime Minister recently described Burma as one of the world's darkest corners and said that human rights are universal. But his government is still trying to deport Burmese dissidents into the hands of that dreadful regime. Can he tell the House why his moral compass has failed to identify this transparent hypocrisy? I I will certainly look at any individual cases he brings to me and and look at them uh, sympathetically. But there is an appeals uh, system for people... There is an appeals system, and, and that will be dealt with. Can I, say, can I say on Burma, I hope there will be all party support. This is a repressive and illegitimate regime. Aung San Suu Kyi was the elected democratic leader of Burma, and the sanctions that we will step up in the European Union are sanctions that are necessary to tell that Burmese regime that what they are doing is completely unacceptable. And I hope the Secretary-General of the United Nations will be able uh, to lead a United Nations team that will bring reconciliations to the people of Burma. Uh, David Blunkett. Uh, Will my right honourable uh, friend agree that the reported statement from the Association of British Insurers on future cover for flood damage is deeply unhelpful and will lead people... And will, and will lead people to conclude that the industry wishes to remove any commercial risk to their own profits and place that risk instead on the current and future policyholders, including the families and businesses in my own Sheffield constituency. I'm grateful to my right honourable friend. I, I think what the Association of British Insurers have announced today is a review into the practices for the future. I hope they will not take uh, the step that he is suggesting uh, might be considered to deny people insurance. But I also, I also have to say, again in the interest of accuracy, that over the summer period, and very recently, the Association of British Insurers have been asking that by 2011 uh, we spend 750 million a year on flood defences. 
The figures we have announced yesterday are that we have raised flood defences from 600 million this year to 800 million in 2011. So I hope whatever difference there is, 800 million in 2011, and I hope whatever difference there is between the Association of British Insurance and us, which is very small on the figures that are involved, we can show as a result of the Pitt report, which will come soon, that we are doing everything we can to improve flood defences in this country. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On the 20th of September, the Governor of the Bank of England said the Market Abuses Directive had actually undermined his ability to carry out an operation which would have been in the interests of everybody connected with Northern Rock. Does the Prime Minister agree? The Chancellor is making a statement on this very matter tomorrow in the House of Commons. There is, there is an issue about the requirement uh, to make uh, transparent uh, dealings that take place to try and rescue companies. And there is an issue that's got to be dealt with in the European Union uh, as uh, part of that. But there are other issues that arise from Northern Rock which I think are probably more important for the longer term. And there, there is the issue about how the international community can come together to have an early warning system when events happen in America, affect Europe, and then affect the United Kingdom. Now, on all these issues, the Chancellor will make a statement tomorrow. And John's... My constituent, Mr Gary Newlove, has highlighted the continuing concerns about the effect of underage drinking. While I welcome what the Government has done so far to tackle this problem, can the Prime Minister assure me that he will look at what now needs to be done, and in particular that he will seek to persuade the industry to end the immoral practice of targeting alcoholic drinks directly at young people, and that he will enforce severe penalties on those who sell alcohol to underage youngsters? Well, I, I share, I share the, the sadness of my honourable friend uh, and send my condolences to the family of her, her constituent. Uh, we, we are committed to doing everything in our power to tackle both antisocial behaviour and specifically uh, underage uh, drinking. I, I have appealed in the past uh, to uh, those uh, alcohol and drinks companies uh, to advertise far more widely the dangers of teenage drinking. We have said repeatedly that we will fine and take very heavy action on penalties in closing them down, shops who sell illegally to young people. I urge councils to use their new powers uh, to ban alcohol in trouble spots at the same time, the police have had the power to disperse young people who are involved in alcohol fueled disorder, and I hope also they will use these powers. Local authorities can designate areas in their towns, including town centres, and make it an offence there to drink alcohol. And it is the combination of all these measures, including, I believe, a review of the 24-hour drinking laws, that is an essential, is essential element of making it absolutely clear that teenage drinking is unacceptable at the level it's being carried out in our towns and inner cities, and action has got to be taken. Does the Prime Minister think it's right that a pupil in my constituency gets £736 less on average than a pupil in an inner London borough, even though the cost of employing a teacher is the same? And will he put an end to this huge injustice so that schools in Hornsey and Wood Green get, finally get a fair funding deal. Well, I, I, I hope she will, she will accept that expenditure per pupil in every part of the country is rising. I hope she will accept that while we inherited a situation in 1997 where average expenditure was only 2,500 per pupil, it is now 5,500 per pupil and rising. And of course we will continue to look at what happens in particular uh, areas, and in this case the outer London area, 
but it is only because of the policies of this government in securing economic growth that every school pupil in this country is enjoying additional investment in the future. Mr Speaker, given the still extremely serious situation in Darfur, would my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, explain to the House what steps his government took during the recess to support the Security Council Resolution 1769, as well as the wider peace agreement in Sudan, in order to ensure that humanitarian aid is delivered in desperate circumstances and that this carnage is discontinued. I'm grateful to my Honourable friend who's taken a a huge interest in these matters and in the future of the whole of uh, Africa. Uh, I think the United Nations resolution that was achieved at the beginning of the summer is now being complemented by the African Union UN forces ready to come to Darfur and to be there on the ground. At the same time, we want an end to hostilities and there is a sense that all the parties in Darfur may be prepared uh, to bring an end to the hostilities as the peace talks begin. So the combination of peace talks beginning in the next few days and the possibility of an end to hostilities gives us hope that this uh, outrage, which has meant that two million people have been displaced and four million people are in famine and a quarter of a million people have died, that this uh, outrage can be brought soon to an end. Michael Spacer. When will Worcestershire get insurance-proof flood defences? Well, I hope that as a result of the announcements we made yesterday, which is to increase the amount of money for flood defences, from what was, if I may say so, 300 million in 1997, 600 million now, 650 million next year, 700 million the year after, and 800 million the year after that, that will benefit uh, uh, the Honourable Member's constituency and every other constituency where there are issues about flood defences. And he, he may have heard the head of the Environment Agency this morning saying that uh, they were able to continue to spend more money on flood defences, not only in his region, but all over the country. Dr Starkey. Would the Prime Minister Minister consider visiting Milton Keynes to see the large numbers of new houses that are being built as a result of this government's policy, together with new schools and GP surgeries? And does he agree that building more houses is the most effective way of increasing the supply of affordable housing and that a cut in stamp duty would simply be taken up in increased prices if demand continues to outstrip supply? If we are are to have a housing strategy that will ensure that there is affordable housing for young couples, then we need to build more houses and, 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 and the demand and supply equation has got to be improved. In the last 10 years, there are nearly 2 million more owner-occupiers. In the next few years, we hope by 2020 to build 3 million new houses. But I have to say that Conservative councils that are resisting plans to build more houses will not help the country meet its objectives. And this must be a common effort of all parties if we are to achieve the houses that people need. Statement. Secretary Alan Johnson. Guardian Unlimited.